I'm so excited to be here with y'all this morning. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, I'm praying for James as he's resting with his family. Um, but today we begin our Advent series, anticipating the coming of our Savior. So we'll be starting this series in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. I'll read it, and then uh, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us. Father, that you have given us your word that points us to your son the Messiah, the one who has come to save his people from their sin. Father, we, we pray now that as we read and study your word, that your spirit would come, it would convict us, and it would change our hearts, and it would lead us to you. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, I was invited to go to one of those indoor playgrounds. And uh, now on a cold and rainy day, if my wife really wants me to go, uh, I would go for her sake and for the sake of our daughter. But this occasion, I was invited by one of my friends to go with him and his daughter on one of the nicest weather days of the year. Now, I cannot tell you how much I did not want to go. I loathe the idea. Uh, I couldn't describe to you how much I, w I wanted to stay and do something else at the house. Uh, I tried a few excuses, but I ended up being trapped. I was going. Uh, so the, the rest of that evening and the next morning, I was in a terrible mood. And despite my bad mood, Elise and her friend were having a great time. As, and I was even having a great conversation with my friend. Um, 
But even in all of that, I was stuck. Inside, I was grumbling because I wanted to be somewhere else. I was thinking the whole time, look at how wonderful outside it is. I could be working on my truck. I could be out in the woods. I could be on the tractor. I could even be pulling weeds. That would be better than this. (laughs) What am I doing inside on a day like today? Has anybody else ever felt this way? I... I know I'm not the only one here. In this case, I was, I was grumbling, right? I was grumbling through this morning because I was being selfish. The only reason I didn't want to be there was because it was messing up my plans. And as a people, we do this a lot, right? We, we often, uh, and we can probably all recognize that we're, we're at fault here. Right? We're being selfish. On the other end of the spectrum we can often find ourselves longing to get out of something when it really is hard. There are circumstances in life that are really, really hard. And we can, we can find ourselves longing for a way out, longing for this pain to stop. Maybe your job is throwing more and more work at you and you just can't take it any longer. Or maybe you wake up every morning wanting to stay in bed because you can't face what's happening in your life at the time. Either way, on both sides of this coin, whether it's through our selfish grumbling, right, or our genuine hurt because of the intense pain or difficulty, there's something similar going on. See, in both of these instances, we are lacking joy in submission to the task at hand. And if we're honest, isn't that what the Christian life feels like? On both ends of the spectrum, maybe you say, well, I really need to read the Bible today, but YouTube is way more entertaining. Or on the other side, I've been diagnosed with a life-altering disease. How can I find joy in submitting to the will will of the Lord? That's what we're going to be talking about today from this passage How can I find joy in submission to Christ even when life is hard? So we begin our first point entitled The Favor of God. But before we dive into this point, we need to remember the context of this passage. As Michael mentioned earlier, for almost 400 years, God has essentially been silent. After the Israelites came back from the exile, God has not spoken. After multiple generations of silence, we can imagine that the people may have had a few thoughts. Is it over? Is God ever going to speak again? Did he abandon us? We have to remember that at this point in history of Israel, it is possible there were a lot of people who did what the Old Testament said simply because their parents did it. And they didn't really believe it was true. It was easy to go through the motions and live in a society acting like you knew the Lord. Now, just before our passage begins in Luke, Luke outlines the story of Zechariah receiving an encounter with this same angel, Gabriel. But remember, these two events happen close together, and it has been 400 years since the Lord has spoken. And after 400 years, Mary gets... A special visitor. 
God decides to send an angel to Mary to tell her that the Messiah is coming. And at this point in Mary's life, she is betrothed. Now, we don't use that language very often. And it essentially is her engagement. Uh, It's just very similar to what we describe as engagement today. So, being engaged, she is probably anxiously awaiting her wedding day. She's planning, right? She's planning the flowers. She's planning the cake, the dress, maybe her wedding hashtag. She is obviously excited. But God has other plans. He sends Gabriel to visit her. Now, Gabriel greets her, and Mary is obviously terrified because there is an angel in her room. And also, she's not used to seeing angels, right? Remember, this is a 400-year silence by God. It's not common for people to see or hear from God. So Mary's probably wondering what's going on, but also what Gabriel says probably sparks something in her. He says, when he says, oh, favored one, she may be thinking, what does he mean, oh, favored one? Gabriel assures her not to be afraid. And then he tells her again that she has found favor with God. Now, what does favor with God mean? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Now, the original uh, word here in the Greek, we often translate it as grace. And so here, the angel Gabriel is telling Mary that she has found grace with God. She has found favor. What is this grace? What is this favor that she has found? And where, what is, It's come from God, but what is it? Gabriel tells her, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Imagine the excitement she's experiencing, but also a baby right now. What about the wedding? What about my future husband, Joseph? What about my family? How can I explain this? Would the, would the priests in Nazareth try to have me killed for adultery? As Gabriel is announcing the coming of Christ, Mary must have some sort of thoughts going through her head, a mixture of excitement and fear. But either way, she's probably struggling to see entirely how this is favor from God. Gabriel, in announcing this news, he gives us a ton of information about this amazing baby that is coming. First, his name, Jesus In the Hebrew, it means Yahweh saves, Yahweh being the personal name of God given to Moses at the burning bush. He is here to save his people. Second, Gabriel says this baby is going to be great and the son of the Most High. This language goes all the way back to Melchizedek, to when he blessed Abraham, all the way back in Genesis chapter 14, associating this baby with God, the son of God. Third, the Lord says he will give to him the throne of his father David. He's going to fulfill the promises he made to David all the way back in 2 Samuel. That there will be a king on his throne forever and ever. And that king will be Jesus. And he will rule over the house of Israel and the house of Jacob forever. God is telling Mary and all of his people that this is it. All the promises of the past are going to be completely fulfilled in this baby. He is not just a prophet. He is not just a great man. 
He is the Son of the Most High, the very Son of God. Now, after hearing all of this, Mary gives her response, right? She's, she has all these questions floating around in her head, right? A mixture of fear and excitement, and she asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? Her, her question, her response here could have gone a number of different ways, right? But she's very practical in her question. She knows where babies come from, and she knows that those criteria have not been met in her life yet. Parents, I'm going to leave it at that, and you can answer your kids' questions later. Um, Now, is Mary's response here, is it coming out of a place of doubt? Is it wrong for her to ask Gabriel this question? We can only speculate, but if we look at the text, Gabriel does not rebuke her, as he does with Zechariah. Only a few verses earlier, when Zechariah in chapter, or verse 18 says, how shall I know this? He makes him be mute until the baby is born. But Mary's different here. Mary's question comes from a place of belief, not doubt. Why? Because what Gabriel is describing is a miracle. It is entirely, completely different. It is a miracle. So we're going to talk about next, the miraculous conception of Christ. Gabriel tells her, in answering her question, he says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, there are two things that we need to unpack in this small section. First, how is Gabriel describing this conception? How is it going to happen? And then second, what makes this child holy? So first, how does Gabriel describe the conception of Jesus? He says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If we think back through Scripture, this scene looks very similar to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Gabriel is using the words similar to the creation account to describe how Mary will conceive. Gabriel is not describing God having a sexual relationship with Mary. He is not describing anything similar to a mythological story from Greco-Roman history. No, Gabriel is describing a supernatural work by the triune God. The only begotten Son of God, begotten, not made, not formed by natural modes. This baby is a miracle. What about this child makes him holy? The reason why this child is holy is because of the way he's being formed in the womb, outside of normal modes of conception. But along with that, in normal pregnancies and births, our sin nature is passed down. It's inherited from our our former father, Adam. And it's passed down to us through our parents. But for Jesus, this did not occur. Because of his mode of conception, Adam's sin nature was not passed to Jesus. And this miraculous conception is critical to our understanding of both justification by faith and the atonement of Christ. See, without this conception, this miraculous conception, Jesus cannot be the spotless lamb. He cannot be the perfect sacrifice without the miraculous conception on the womb, in the womb. Not only is this important for our justification, 
but the Lord is reminding us that in this work that he is doing, bringing Jesus into the world through a miracle, the triune God is in control of all life. And specifically, he is in control of the entire life and lineage of the promised offspring. If you look all the way back, this offspring was prophesied first in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When he was, when he was said he would come to crush the head of the serpent. But this offspring is bookended by two miraculous births. With the birth of Christ being the crowning miracle of them all. The first bookend we talked about earlier in the service with Abraham. He was promised, he and Sarah were promised a baby boy, even though his wife was old and was called barren. Sarah laughed at the prospect. She didn't think it was possible. But what did the Lord say to her? In Genesis 18, he said, is anything too hard for God? Thousands of years later, after Isaac has been born to Sarah, Gabriel specifically uses the conception of John as an example for Mary in how this is going to happen. He tells Mary Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And what does he say? For nothing will be impossible with God. To our ears, we may not catch the similarities here, but Mary would have heard him loud and clear. Gabriel is essentially quoting the Genesis passage there. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Those two words, hard and impossible, in the original languages convey the, the meaning that God has the power to do anything. He is telling Mary, this thing that biology cannot explain, I will do. I have that kind of power. The birth of Christ is undeniably a miracle, and we cannot lose sight of this. If Jesus isn't born without sin, there is no hope for our redemption. He cannot go to the cross and die the righteous death required to make atonement for our sins. He cannot be the spotless lamb without the spotless birth. And now after Gabriel's reply, we hear Mary's second response. Without complaining or grumbling, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In the face of such a difficult task and a difficult request, Mary is joyfully submitting to the will of God. What makes her submission so difficult? Well, remember, as we outlined before, there are two things, two major things. First of all, she has to die to herself. She has to give up her plans of this wedding. Uh, her, her marriage to Joseph is going to be different. And second, she has to face the real fear that she could be accused of adultery and they could try to kill her. She will always be the one who had to cancel her wedding because she was pregnant. Her friends and neighbors will think she was unfaithful. It could ruin her, her reputation or worse, have her killed. But knowing all of this, she still submits to the will of the Father. Mary's open-handed submission here is beautiful. And it is something for us to be in awe of, but while it is beautiful, it is not the ultimate image of joyful submission that we can look to. You see, her submission to the will of the Father points forward to the submission of the Son 
to the will of the Father. It points us forward to Christ's submission to the Father's will to go to the cross on behalf of a rebellious people. We hear his heart in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, when he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Friends, as followers of Jesus, submission to hardship in our lives is part of our calling. Like Mary and ultimately like Christ, what it practically means to be a follower of Jesus is to submit joyfully to the hard things in life, to the hard will of what he has placed on our life. It doesn't mean we won't have questions. It doesn't mean that we can't ask God to take it away. It doesn't mean it won't be hard. But what it does mean is that he has the power to work joyful submission into our heart. Jesus has the power to help us submit to his will in every aspect of life while we look forward to the joy set before us, just as he did going to the cross for us. How do we do this? We first must remember our condition. Just like Mary, we have been, been given grace. We have received favor from God. By grace of God, we have been called children of God and heirs with Christ. If We have submitted to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And friend, if you have not turned from sin and set your faith in Jesus, his offer is extended to you. Call on his name and receive this amazing gift of grace. So first, we must remember our condition as sinners who have been given grace. And second, we must believe the beautiful truth that nothing is impossible with God. God is the author of life. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is all-powerful, and there is nothing that he cannot do. Just like with Mary, Jesus can work joyful submission into our lives in whatever circumstances we may face. Whether it's failing health, infertility, job loss, family strife, feeling like an outcast or feeling inadequate, Jesus can give us a heart to face the worst and most difficult challenges in this life. While we still say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Only Jesus can work this into our hearts, and it is only through Jesus that we can experience hope in all circumstances. Praise the Lord, the God who keeps his promises that he can and will bring everlasting joy through his son. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for keeping your promise. We thank you for bringing Jesus into the world to save us from our sin. God, we thank you for your joyful submission to the, to the will of the Father to take on our sin and to die so that we could be with you, so that we could be your people and we could dwell with you forever. God, we, we pray now that you would draw us in to experience your mercy and your grace. All these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.